Amen. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2. If you're just joining us, we have been journeying through this book of Holy Scripture, and today we find ourselves in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the Word, the living God. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. And especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Living Lord, we pray now that through the preaching of your word, by your spirit, You would come to us and instruct us and guide us, feed us. We pray that you would remove competing distractions from our hearts and minds. That you would crush idols of our hearts. That you would cause us to see and to savor the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Boys and girls, the passage that Pastor Ryan just read is a very, very, very long sentence in our English Bibles. It looks like a paragraph, but really, as we read it, it's one long sentence in our English Bibles, and it begins this way, for if God did not, and then there's a long list of things that God did not spare, And then we reach the second part of the sentence all the way down in verse 9. Look there with me, boys and girls. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So this passage of Scripture is saying, For if God did not spare from judgment all of these individuals, for if God did not only help all of these individuals, then he knows how to deliver us out of our temptations and how to judge the unrighteous who live among us today. That's the main theme of this passage of Scripture, brothers and sisters. For if God did not spare, then the Lord knows how to deliver us and to reserve the unjust, the unrighteous, under punishment for the theme of that great day. Let me say it in even more simple terms. If you're wondering how to make sense of this passage, here's one potential theme. Here's one way to write it. God's record proves he is able to deliver the godly and judge the wicked. 
That's the theme of this paragraph. God's record proves that He is able to deliver the godly and to judge the wicked. Now, what's Peter's argument? That's his theme. What's his argument? Well, you remember in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he's been making the point that Christians, those who have faith in Christ alone, both His perfect life in their place and His death on the cross, that His blood covered their sins. True Christians share in a common and precious faith. And that faith is a faith that we have through the promises of God and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a Christian, it's only because of the strong, powerful work of Christ. It's not you It's not the prayer that you prayed. It's not the aisle that you walked. It's not the 10,000 times you said to yourself, I want to dedicate myself to God. No, it is Christ and what he has done. He is the basis of your salvation and he is written of in the scriptures. Peter says at the end of chapter 1, people will come and they will say false things about this Jesus about who he is, what he's done, and specifically the fact that he's coming again to judge the world. And so you need to understand that the scriptures are God's word to you in the midst of false teaching. Then in chapter 2, we move to a discussion of these false teachers. Just last week, we saw that Peter says, hey, after I'm gone, they're going to come. And they're going to come from within you. False teachers are going to rise up from within the church of Jesus Christ and they're going to wreak havoc. And one of the things that they're going to say is, he's not coming back the way you've heard. And judgment for sin is not what you think. So live how you wish. And that takes us to our text. And the theme of our text. God's record proves that he is able to deliver the godly in the midst of horrendous temptations. Look at Lot. The text says that his soul was tormented because of the sins that he saw around him in the wicked world. Is your soul ever tormented, Christian, as you see the abominations happening around us? And sometimes as you see things around us in the world and you desire some of those things still? God is able to deliver you, Peter says. His record proves it. But he is also able to judge the wicked. All the wicked, but particularly these false teachers. So he walks through some history, God's history. Three particular examples he gives in this passage. And these examples are part of that really long sentence, aren't they? So keep in mind, verse 4, if God did not spare, and then go all the way down to verse 9, then the Lord knows how to. What happens in the middle? Well, let's look. In chronological order in Second Peter, there is a list of God's history. First, he starts with the angels. The fallen angels, the wicked angels, boys and girls, sometimes we call them demons now. Did you know that the demons used to be pristine and pure angels made to stand in the presence of God and simply serve Him and declare day in and day out how glorious He is? 
But some of them, puffed up and filled with pride, fell and they rebelled against God. And verse 4 says this, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. That's the first example. Look at God's history, Peter says. Look at what he did to the spiritual beings. He sent them, as the text says, to hell. Now we need to make one note regarding this particular word, hell. The underlying word there in the Greek would be the word Tartarus. We've seen that once before in our series in 1 Peter, where in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, we made the argument that Tartarus was that place in even ancient philosophy and history, the idea that there was this place in the underworld, the deepest place where the greatest of titans would be sent. Now, by no means is the Bible saying that there is this place of titans and false gods, but rather, using a word very common in the day, some translations render it the word hell, but it would probably be better to render this either as Tartarus or Hades, the place where the lost, the sinful, go and are kept unto the day of judgment, because hell is to come. So these spiritual beings who sinned, you can read of them, for instance, in places like Genesis 6, 1-4. through 4. These spiritual beings who sinned were sent to the deepest place of waiting for judgment. Interestingly, that word is used in Jude chapter 1, Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 18, this idea of a waiting place. Jude chapter, or Jude verses 5 through 7 gives a similar idea. Although what's interesting, if you read 2 Peter chapter 2, a discussion of the false teachers, and Jude verses 5 through 7, very similar discussions are made, except this. In Jude, the false teachers come from outside the church, and they enter in. In 2 Peter, They rise up from within the church. Brothers and sisters, until the Lord Jesus comes back, we are attacked from without and from within. But if the Lord God knows how to deal with even the spiritual beings, He's able to deliver the godly and judge the wicked. But then notice verse 5. We move from the angels, the spiritual beings, as an example to this. Verse 5, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Now he moves from these angels of old that God dealt with swiftly, that God knows how to reserve for the day of judgment. Now he gives us the example of Noah. Boys and girls, do you remember what happened with Noah? He lived in a time when the world was very wicked. And the world would not listen to the ways of God. In fact, Peter is the New Testament writer that tells us that Noah was a preacher. You see, in Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, we read that Noah was a righteous man. He lived righteously in an unrighteous time. But Peter tells us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 
You ever wonder what Noah was doing all of those many years while he was building the ark? Driving nail in after nail in after nail in. Neighbors would come. Where is this flood that's coming? Look at crazy Noah. (laughs) He's building a boat. There's no water around. What are you doing, you fool? Noah was preaching. God is a God of mercy. Come to his means of salvation. His judgment is coming. Noah was a type of preacher today. He was preaching. Preaching in a culture that wanted nothing to do with God and his ways. Pointing people, it seems, to the coming salvation. Can you imagine being given instructions by God, spending all of your energies following those instructions having people one by one come and make fun of you and simply offering the, the offer of mercy. Come, friend. Come. Let me tell you about what God is doing. God is holy. And he's going to destroy this world. But there is a means of salvation. There is an ark of salvation. Does this sound familiar, brothers and sisters? Isn't that what we do when we evangelize today? We don't point people to a boat. We point them to Christ, who is the everlasting ark of God's salvation. Listen, friend, maybe you were invited here today. You need to know that God is a God who will judge all sin. What is sin? Well, it is in in any way when we take God's perfect commands and we transgress them. We don't do the things which God commands and we do the very things that he tells us we ought not to do. This is called sin. And every human being is a sinner. And God has said through his word that judgment is coming on sin. But he has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took the wrath of God on the cross for all who would ever believe in him. And that salvation is entering into this ark of God, running to Christ and saying, Lord, forgive my sins in my Savior. Lord, look on Christ and not on me. The text says God knew how to deliver righteous Noah, but what? To bring judgment on the world. You see, we're moving through Genesis, aren't we? First, these angels... There is not an angel anywhere to be found that will escape the eyes of the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's not a demon in the deepest, darkest places of Hades. There's not a demon who will whisper tempting thoughts in your ears over which King Jesus does not rule and reign. Angels. Also, the history of Noah. A world that was unrighteous. That world was delivered to judgment. And yet, this preacher of righteousness saved. But there's a third example, isn't there, in the midst of this long English sentence. Look at verse 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Interesting, we move from the spiritual realm 
to the entire earth, now to a particular individual in a particular city. But what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah? Well, Sodom and Gomorrah, the scripture says, has become an example afterward to those who would live ungodly. Lot has a history in the early pages of the Bible. He moves to a place called Sodom, and it is a wicked place, a place of all kinds of horrible sins. But the text says that God turned Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He rained down fire upon that set of cities and condemned them to destruction. But what did he do with Lot? Well, the text uses him as an example. He delivered righteous Lot. Notice the individual focus on this one man. And notice particularly what we learn about his righteousness. Now you see, when the Bible calls an individual righteous, any person besides the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not that they have earned their standing before God, but that they are living out the life of faith, clothed, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ who would come for them, living according to the ways of God. The focus here is not perfection, but the trajectory of their life. Notice a little bit of Lot's heart. It's dissected for us. Verse 8, For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Is that not a picture so often of our lives here on earth in 2023? We live our lives, we leave our homes or apartments or townhouses, we go to work. Sometimes we are, as it were, cold to the sins around us. But sometimes there are seasons where the sins around us bother us. Brothers and sisters, just this past weekend we've seen another conflict that's happened in the world. Aside from all of the political discussions surrounding what ally belongs to what country, there were pictures streaming the internet. Pictures of atrocities being committed to individuals. Doesn't matter who those individuals were. Godless, wicked deeds. And I found myself troubled by the unrighteousness. Not troubled enough due to my own coldness. But don't we live in a world where our souls sometimes, like Lot, are tormented because of the wickedness we see around us. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on this passage says this, quote, One indication of righteousness is torment and distress over those who live unrighteously. And the main point of this verse is that Lot was so tormented. Since he lived in the midst of them, he experienced daily the distress of their lawless deeds. How was he aware on a regular basis of the antinomian, anti-law, lifestyle of such sinners? Peter informs us that he was confronted with their evil by what he saw and heard, end quote. Believer, this is your life in the Babylon of this world. This is our life 
We live and breathe and move in a world of people that are not like us. Oh, they're human beings like us. But until the Lord saves them and converts their souls, they're involved in all manner of wickedness. And we're tormented because we see it. We hate it. And sometimes we find within us stirrings to return to it. You might say to yourself, I wish I was more bothered by their sin. What I'm bothered by so much is that I still have desires to run with them. And I would just submit to you that if you have desires to sin and you don't like that, you hate that when you see it within yourself, even though you're torn, you're living in the midst of another New Testament passage, Romans chapter 7. You are the Christian who says, I want to do the things of this world, but I want to honor my Savior. And some days I find myself fleeing to this world and then running back to Christ and saying, Lord, forgive me for entangling myself in these things. High school students, college students, you see this in your own soul if you love King Jesus. Because in some ways, you're regularly living among people who are telling you this is what you need to do. The ways of your life are being formed more than the ways of the lives of others in this room. And the word torment in verse 8 can sometimes be the right word for you. My friends are doing these things and sometimes I want to do them but I see that they're wrong. Lot is a great example but he's not the only one to live in the midst of wickedness and to be tormented by what he sees and hears day and night. You find in yourself a desire sometimes to sin and there's a war within you. Praise the living God. That war was implanted in your soul by the Holy Spirit. But for the grace of God, you would love the ways of this world. When you see that holy war in your soul, praise the Lord. Say, Lord, thank you that I actually have desires not to do the things that I'm tempted by while I'm also tempted by them. So we've got this set of three examples, boys and girls. God knows how to deal with wicked angels. God knows how to deal with the wicked world and yet save and preserve those who are his. God knows how to deal with individual cities and save people, and preserve them. So how do we make sense of this for our week ahead? I just want to suggest four things for us to notice in this passage, and we're finished. Four things. Again, what's our theme? God's record proves that he is able to deliver the godly and judge the wicked. That's our theme. That's Peter's theme. So then what can we notice? Well, firstly... Notice the theme of simultaneous, boys and girls, that means at the same time. Notice the theme of simultaneous judgment and deliverance. Only God can do this. Notice in this passage that as the history of God is put forward as evidence that God knows what he's doing, that at the same time, there's setting apart people or angels for judgment while 
salvation of those that are his. Look at the second two examples. The world is destroyed and Noah is saved. Sodom is destroyed and Lot is saved. There's a theme here. At the same time, the God of all is able to bring judgment or preserve for judgment and to bring deliverance or preserve for deliverance. On Thursday evening, when you're far away from Lord's Day gatherings and you see stirrings in your soul for the things of this world, or you've been tormented all the week long by the fact that you keep hearing people use God's name in blasphemous ways, use their bodies in abominable ways, you read and you see every time you look at your smartphone just the wickedness and depravity of man and you think, is there any hope? Peter would say, at the same time, God can handle the wicked and save the righteous. There's hope. But secondly, I want us to see this. Notice the full sphere of God's judgment. We've mentioned this already. But the spiritual realm is under the Lord. If God knows how, as Peter says, to not spare the angels who sin, but cast them into Tartarus, to deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. There's not a spiritual being over which the king does not rule. We We see the spiritual realm, but then we see the whole earth. What happened in the flood, boys and girls? The whole earth not a region, the whole earth was destroyed by a flood, a worldwide flood. Scriptures indicate that the skies opened up and that the places of the deep opened up and the floodwaters came from everywhere so that within a matter of hours and days, Utter destruction on the godless world. And yet, in the midst of it all, through the waters of judgment, Noah was saved. The spiritual realm, the earthly realm, and the individual. Lot's soul is laid bare for us here. Notice, there is nowhere for the unrighteous to escape. If you ascend into the highest of heaven, you will not escape King Jesus. If you go down to the deepest places of the deep, the places where demons dwell, you will not escape King Jesus. The entire earth, the judgment of the Lord was swift. There was not a place provided for salvation. I don't mean to be graphic here, but there was not a single place for people to dig their own cavern and cave and wait out the flood on that day. There was one place of mercy, and it was in the ark of God. The judgment that is to come when for sure King Jesus returns, which is what these false teachers were denying, 
The one place to find salvation is the ark of God. The shed blood of Christ for sinners on the cross. But it's the spiritual realm, it's the earth, it's the individual soul. The Lord is able to rain down fire on a city and yet bring out the righteous. You think that the Lord doesn't see your torment, Christian, as you live in the midst of a world that is fallen and depraved? He does. He knows it more than you do. He sees the crevices of your heart. He sees when you see the sin around you and you're tormented because you hate what you see, the things you used to, to run in, you used to love. And then Satan loves to come or send his minions to come and say, why do you hate that? You used to love that, you hypocrite. Some of the tormenting is in your own mind. I love the Lord, but I did used to do that, and sometimes I still want to do that. And you find yourself almost like Martin Luther, tormented until the balm of the gospel comes your way again. It is not your life that is your salvation. It is the blood of Christ and his life. Don't think for a moment that the God who rules over all the spiritual realm and can judge the entirety of the earth doesn't know the ins and outs of the souls of those who he will deliver. So secondly, notice the full sphere of God's judgment. But thirdly, thirdly, notice the promise of God's aid. That's really where Peter gets to in verse 9, isn't it? Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations. And to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. That's, that's the theme, isn't it? God's record. Three examples are laid out. Angels, Noah, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Lot. God's record shows that he's able to do what? Deliver the godly out of temptations. Don't we need this word? If we are aware spiritually of our current walk. You see, the Christian life is not a life where you are eventually tempted by less and less things to the point that in your later years as a Christian, you don't really have to avoid temptation at all. If anything, brothers and sisters, the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you see that there are things that even walking for a decade or two with the Lord, when you were first saved, those things didn't bother you. But you just see in yourself more and more and more of this spiritual work of God. God promises what? Aid in the midst of temptations. A couple of passages of Scripture turn over to 1 Corinthians. There's this famous passage where this idea is discussed. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Listen to these words through the Apostle Paul. He says this to Christians. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. We're preaching 2 Peter, not 1 Corinthians 10. But just for a moment, notice. You are not being tempted in a way that sets you apart from everyone else in the world. The deepest, strongest temptations that you experience are common No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape 
that you may be able to bear it. Now, the difficulty with 1 Corinthians 10.13 is that often we blame the Lord God. You said you would provide a way out, but you didn't. No, he did, and you disobeyed. He did, and I disobeyed. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Christian by Christian by Christian, the Lord is constantly working, providing a way of escape. Matthew 26.41 points to the idea that prayer is a means by which we escape in moments of temptation. And of course, how did the Lord Jesus teach us to pray in the model prayer? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or from the evil one. One other passage, Revelation 3.10. There a particular group of Christians is addressed. And we read these words. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. There, if we had time to just mine Revelation 3, we'll see that there is a command for us to persevere in right doctrine, to persevere in the gospel, to persevere in faith, and yet who does the persevering of us? It's the Lord God. Listen, Christian, you need to understand, I need to understand desperately that in moment, and we've sung this theme today, haven't we? Tune my heart to sing your praise. Because it doesn't naturally want to sing your prayer, praise. Or how about the hymn we sang just before the sermon? Is this you? Weak is the effort of my heart, and cold my warmest thought. That's us. At least it's me. And we need to understand that our standing before the Lord is in Christ. And thus, our persevering, making it to the end, seeing heaven's shore is in Christ. And yet, this Lord who perseveres us calls us to put down sin, calls us to watch and pray, calls us to persevere. But you need to know that the basis of perseverance is what? God knows how to deliver the godly. God will deliver you. You will not deliver you. God will deliver you. Press into him in the midst of temptation. When your soul, like righteous lots, is tormented by what you see and hear around you, press in. When your closest friends reject you because you make decisions for Christ, run to him. I don't mean to be overly emotive here, but cry to him. Cry out, Lord, they have all abandoned me. You will see as you cry out in your abandonment to the King of kings and Lord of lords that there he was on the cross of Calvary, abandoned by all, including his Father. According to his humanity, bearing the weight of the sins of all who would ever trust in him, he knows, beloved, that God is able to deliver. And he, the God-man, brings deliverance to you, both from your sin and from its eternal effects.
God is able to deliver. Lot was living in Sodom. Day in and day out. Wickedness. We don't have time, but you could just go back to the Old Testament and read the kinds of things that were happening in Sodom. But it will not sound all that unfamiliar to you because it will sound like New York or Los Angeles or Amsterdam or London or Hampton. It's all around us. But God says to you, when they come to you, even from within and try to bring temptation by saying, Jesus isn't coming. Remember, God knows what he's doing. God knows how to reserve the unrighteous for the day of judgment and he knows how to deliver the godly. But a fourth thing, we're to notice, number one, the theme of simultaneous judgment and deliverance. Number two, we're to notice the full sphere of God's judgment. There's no place where God's judgment is not found. Nor is there a place where God's promise of aid, number three, is not able to be trusted by those who are his. But number four, and finally, notice the specific nature of God's judgment. He moves out of a discussion, the history of God, to finishing his thought. Verse 9, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Now we're getting two particular kinds of sins, two specific sins for which Peter's readers likely were being tormented with two particular kinds of sins that you and I will see in the world around us and that we have to be freed from by the blood of Christ. What are these sins? Well, in verse 10, he uses the phrase, the lust of uncleanness and the despising of authority. By all accounts, the lust of uncleanness here would refer to sexual sin. It's already been referenced in chapter 2, verse 2. These false teachers are doing what? They are teaching individuals to live in ways that are ungodly. But it's also one of the main sins of the example of Lot in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. The particular kind of sin that Peter points to, it's not the only sin that God will judge, for he will judge all sin, either on Christ, on the behalf of Christians, or on that day. But sexual sin is particularly a kind of sin that is mentioned here. But a despising of authority, secondly. Now, if you go back to Peter's first letter, do you remember that he had an entire section where he was dealing with different kinds of authority? The authority within the home. The authority within the church. The authority within the civil magistrate. And now, in some way, these false teachers, and just the wicked world around is known 
by two particular kinds of sins, behaviors arriving out of their heart. Sexual sin and despising authority. The early Baptist minister John Gill had this to say about verse 10. Quote, of parents to whom these proud boasters and blasphemers are genuinely disobedient, and of masters pretending it to be contrary to their Christian liberty, and of magistrates on the same account, and as being a restraint upon their lusts, which is to despise the ordinance of God, his representatives, and to introduce anarchy and confusion, and to open a door to all manner of sin, and also the government of Christ, as head of the church and king of Zion, whom they will not have to reign over them, and therefore reject his laws and submit not to his ordinances, and likewise the government of the world itself by God. End quote. See, the, the kind of authority that they're rejecting is ultimately God's authority. That's the issue. They don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ as he is presented in Scripture. Do you? Do you? Do you want the Christ of Scripture? Or do you want the Christ of your own making? There are plenty here in the United States today who will say, let me tell you about Christ, but he will not be the Christ of Scripture. And they demonstrate their shirking off or throwing off of Christ's authority by all manner of the kinds of authority that they throw off. And, and let's just be real specific. I don't mean the intramural debates over limited government in one nation. I don't mean the discussions politically that we have over uh, whether the government should have more control or less control. Throw that out of your mind for one instance, for one moment. Look at the entirety of this issue. Throwing off authority is one of the major sins that we see in our world today. Christian parents, that is why it is not a laughing matter when our kids treat our authority as nothing. It's not a laughing matter when through our streets people say there is no authority. Because even though there are indeed ungodly examples of authority, God has enshrined in the fifth commandment the idea that authority in general is good. And the two sins that Peter says these false teachers particularly have and the wicked world particularly has is it loves to do what it wants to do with its body and it loves to do what it wants to do with its own will. Don't tell me what to do. Where do you see that in yourself? It's, it's there in us, isn't it? And sometimes, isn't there a connection between these two particular sins? Individuals who are given to sexual sin sometimes are also given to throwing off other kinds of authority. I want to do what I want to do with my own body. Therefore, if I become pregnant, I want to do with what I want to do with another life. And on and on it goes. It's a big issue. And it's a small issue. We don't like being told what to do. And that goes all the way back to the garden. It's part of our nature now. We despise authority and we engage in sexual sin. And these false teachers are noted, fourthly, and we should note, as being given over to these two types of sins in particular. So, 
God's record proves then. He's able, in the midst of a world that hates authority and loves sexual sin, He's able to deliver you. He doesn't look at you and see your worth in your own record. He looks at you, Christian, through the blood of His Son, who put on flesh and lived in your place. Every step that our Savior took on earth was a step that would ultimately be credited to your account. Perfect righteousness. And then he poured out his judgment, the flood of his wrath, onto Christ. And Christ becomes the ark of salvation for all who trust in him. He's able to deliver you. There is no sin with which you will be tempted this week, believer, over which the Lord God is not able to deliver you. But the second theme of Peter's point is that not only is he able, according to his record, to deliver the godly, he's able to judge the wicked. In our darkest moments as a society, when the sin seems to be so rampant, do not for one instant think that the Lord God is unaware or slow to bring judgment. He's patient. He's kind. He's long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. Promises judgment will come. So for you this day, are you in the ark of the Son of God? Let's pray. Living God, help us when we are surrounded by the wickedness of the world, when we are tempted to think that we cannot be delivered from temptation, help us. Strengthen the faith of your saints this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.